Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat with your host, Andy Storch. The show is dedicated to helping you develop the most important part of your organization, the people. If you are in HR or talent development, or you just want to learn how to get the best out of your people, then you are in the right place. This podcast is designed to give you what you need to be successful in the world of talent development. Now, here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited to be joined today by Alexandra Connell, who is the CEO and co-founder of Pluma, a mobile executive coaching and professional development platform for a new generation of leaders Prior to starting Pluma, Alexandra held corporate roles across several industries, including technology, biotech, and investment management in New York and London. Alexandra holds an undergraduate degree in international relations and public policy from Princeton University and an MBA from Harvard Business School. Alexandra, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. And of course, we are recording this live on LinkedIn, so there's always a chance that I may get some questions from people tuning in, but I have plenty of questions of my own because I obviously, we both are very passionate about the talent development space, about coaching. I love everything about that and especially getting coaching access to to more people beyond just the C-suite, which is what I think your organization is about. So before we get into some of those questions, maybe we can start with a little bit about who you are and how you got to where you are today. Sure. So I think... You did a great job with my bio, so I won't, I won't uh, reinvent the wheel on that one. But in terms of how my co-founder, Samuel Cabral, and I arrived at the concept for Pluma and sort of identifying the need for Pluma, it was actually through a role that I had out here in the Bay Area with a company, a biotech company that had just IPO'd. And we were facing a challenge of, we have these more junior people who had been with the company since it started in a garage. And so they they were the culture, they were the success. You know, they'd taken it from garage to the NASDAQ, but this was their first job. So though they'd been there five, six years, it still resume-wise would look like they were quite junior. And after IPO, the team, the executive team started hiring in VP, senior director level people from other organizations, most of whom were much more hierarchical, more institutional than the organization that we were at. And so my boss at the time was the COO. I was chief of staff to the COO. And he said, can we find a way to bring our people up? 
rather than bring these people in because we're really negatively affecting our culture. That we're not failing as fast. We're not as innovative. We're not jumping into new things. There's a lot more expectation of infrastructure and niceties than we really have time to provide. And our junior people are getting demotivated because before they were two layers or one layer from the CEO, and now they're 10 layers from the CEO behind a bunch of people who are asking them questions, you know, who are saying to them, wait, how does this work? You know, so it was this kind of real cultural necessity. And so when I was tasked with that, I went out into the market to look at what was available. There were obviously some really great online content platforms, but nobody would make time for it. I was kind of told like that, no thanks, like great in theory. I did some workshops and seminars. People resented those a little bit, being taken out of their workflow and doing this one-day thing, not really understanding the point of it, not having the longevity behind it. And what I was constantly being asked for was, can I get an executive coach? And the reality was that when you had hundreds of people who wanted an executive coach, it really wasn't feasible. Here, at least in the Bay Area, it's twenty dollars to $30,000 for one executive coaching engagement. And that was not something that we could do for those hundreds of people. And certainly not you know, when you're a public company, newly public, reporting your financials for the first time. And it became very clear to me in that process of finding coaches for some people that the reason the pricing was as such was because there were a lot of inefficiencies in the market. And I had always been a little skeptical of the Silicon Valley attitude. Hey, any problem, even if it's not a problem, throw technology at it and see if <laughs> if it's a solution. But I really did feel like this was an opportunity for technology to make something actually more accessible and scalable. Because if you could give coaches more business and take away all of the effort they're putting into their own business development and marketing, they can charge much lower prices and you can create a much bigger opportunity for the reach of coaching and really take it out of that executive space and bring it into a much more accessible arena with first-time managers, high-potential ICs, all the way up to pretty senior people, but most of whom would not have had access before. If you work in talent development, you know that your job has become more important than ever. The problem is there's so much uncertainty and noise out in the business world, and things are changing so fast, it's hard to know where to go and what tools and resources to use to solve your problems. That's why I recently launched the Talent Development Think Tank community as a central and safe place to access information, ask questions, and talk with other L&D professionals like you so that you can achieve your goals and accelerate your career. Join today to get instant access to our online platform and community of ambitious, helpful talent development professionals who understand your world and can help you solve your problems. Right now, I'm offering 25% off the subscription price to podcast listeners. Just go to talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT for 25% off. That's talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT. Thanks, and on to the episode. So it's about making coaching available to the 90 plus percent of the populations of these organizations that really couldn't get it before. And you mentioned that one of the reasons was that there were a lot of inefficiencies in the system. Can you tell me a little bit more about what that looked like? What are those inefficiencies? Yeah. So the vast majority of executive coaches in the United States are sole proprietors. So they're a self-represented small business, essentially, and they're doing all of their own business development and marketing. And they may be part of various networks, and those networks may be representing them, 
But because of all of the costs, you know, I have my own costs as an individual coach, and now I have these network costs, the end price ended up being really, really high. That was also because even with these networks that focus on the executive level, you're really only able to drive your utilization to 30% in most cases. So in that 30% utilization, I have to make up for the 70% of my time that's not spent on coaching, that's spent on all of the other components of being a small business, you know, the marketing, the business development, doing LinkedIn blog posts, this kind of thing. A lot of things also that most coaches don't enjoy. The kind of people who make the best coaches oftentimes are the people who they often tend to get the thrill of their work from helping people, from interacting with people, from having those coaching relationships. And so it takes a little bit of that away, the more kind of sales and biz dev that they're doing. And so we hear from a lot of coaches that Pluma and the opportunity to work with clients directly without that piece is a real boon to obviously their economics, but also just kind of their passion, why they got into it in the first place. And that doing a lot of their own small business stuff can sometimes be a little alienating in that regard. Yeah, I totally get that. And I'm I'm with you. I, I've seen it firsthand. I've, I got certified as a coach many years ago, and I have a lot of coaches in my network. I know a lot of coaches, and I know that most of them got into coaching because they just love coaching people. Mm-hmm. They didn't really think about the fact that they would have to spend so much time on the marketing, business development, sales, trying to go out and find clients. And a lot of them, frankly, they're not good at it. That's not their skill, right? Their skill yeah. is in coaching, helping people. They don't know how to go out and build a brand or, or market. I'm lucky that I kind of developed some, I don't know, passion around that stuff, but a lot of people just don't. Yeah. And even if you're great at both of those sides of things, one of them kind of has to dominate, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you're really awesome at sales and marketing, that's great, but you won't be able to do as much coaching as you'd like. And so having that trade-off, I think, is always a downside when people go out on their own and they're excited for the chance to focus more on the coaching piece of the puzzle when they work with us. You know, a lot of people, I think, get this already, but there's a lot of people that haven't really experienced coaching, especially maybe in smaller, mid-sized companies that didn't really think they could ever afford it. Why should organizations be thinking about providing coaching for their people? When we have conversations with organizations, we really try and think about what coaching is in a broader sense, in the sense of, well, what are you trying to drive with your overall talent development program? So we're not here to talk about oh, you currently do 30 traditional coaching engagements a year and we'll replace those. That's not at all what we want to do. Instead, we want to say, what is it that you're, everything else you're doing in your talent development? Like, what is your India office doing? What is your UK office doing? What is your New York office doing? Are they doing things in person? Are they doing things digitally? Are they having people follow through on online curriculums? What's the engagement rate? And really understanding the holistic vision for talent development that an organization has, and then saying, okay, cool. A lot of those things can be driven through coaching and become much more impactful. So don't think of us as kind of this slotted coaching solution, but instead think, well, what are we trying to drive right now? Are we trying to drive better communication, greater innovation, change management and transformation? What are all the tools that we have available to do that? How can coaching be one of those tools? So that's the conversation that we tend to have within organizations is that think of coaching as a really impactful way to achieve the professional development and talent development and business development goals 
that your organization has, because there's never going to be a learning modality that is more impactful than a one-on-one bespoke experience that has accountability that takes place over time with a teacher, with a coach who has that expertise, who has this sort of foundation that they can work with you from. There's really just sort of no better alternative out there. And so we try and get organizations to think broadly about the problems they're looking to solve and then how coaching can help them implement those various things. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, there's organizations have so many different objectives. And if you just come at it from like, oh, do you want coaching? I can provide coaching. But you're really focused more on what are the objectives? What's the strategy? How can I support that? And then seeing how you can slot this in to help them. And do you look at connecting that to those business results that they're trying to achieve? Because I would imagine you're going to have a lot more success when you do that. Yeah, I think that you know the other piece of it is one of the trends that we see is organizations trying to narrow down some of the product offerings they have, not wanting to necessarily have 45 different vendors offering talent development options in each of their offices, but really wanting to say, look, we're putting a bunch of chips on these key pieces of the puzzle and we're running at them in a big way. And so we want to be able to provide the data that shows that putting up the pile of chips that you've put on the Pluma piece has really driven results both in the participants' perspective. So we're going to report on engagement and satisfaction during the engagement, as well as impact in a few key areas for the participant, as well as in the 360 perspective. So one of the other things we recognize about the importance of coaching is that it really is a cultural mover. And while a given individual may be receiving coaching, they're going to be taking that and affecting everyone around them with what they're taking away from the experience, right? And it needs to be that way in order for the investment to make sense. So we work with organizations to be able to measure the impact for the individual, for the people around them, and then for the business as a whole, which is to say, if we drive improvements in delegation, or we drive improvements in managing upwards communication, or whatever these behaviors that you've customized to have the coaching engagement focus on, How do we monetize that? How do we think about measuring that? One of the things that I have been very hesitant of is I don't put the dollar amount on the value before we talk to the client because I think they dismiss it as, you know, you always come with some absurd number and they're like, right, right, whatever. Instead, it's about saying, well, what is it worth to you all? You know, like, what's the difference between this and this? We'll do the math for you, but we want the inputs in terms of that dollar value from our partners so that it's a much more credible data piece that they can bring to their CFOs or their CHROs. Yeah. And you know, I've been doing this podcast for a couple of years now, and I work with a lot of organizations, a lot of talent development professionals. We have this conversation all the time that if you want to be able to invest in certain strategic programs, you want to have a seat at the table and be part of the business. You've got to be able to prove business value for the programs you're running. You've got to be able to connect it to company strategy and be able to say, here's what I expect in terms of ROI. You know, here's what the investment looks like. Here's what I expect in terms of results. And here's why I think it's well worth it to invest in this versus just saying, oh, I think coaching would be cool. Exactly. Or yeah, just I picked this because it was a random thing that showed up. No, it's I think you have to align with some pretty strategic objectives to be scalable, 
I think maybe if you're doing something for one day with one office, you know, it doesn't have to tell a bigger story. But certainly when you're trying to sell a software that's scalable, that touches multiple offices, thousands of people, you know, you're going to get the attention of very senior people. So you're going to need to be able to demonstrate from day one that it's a good use of not just money, but also time. Because you're taking these leaders and for an hour a week or whatever it might be, you're taking up their time. And so if you're not giving them back more than that, then you're not only drawing financial resources, but you're drawing time resources as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you've got to make it work. For, everybody's really busy. You've got to make it worth it for them. So when you think about organizations investing in their people, lots of large companies like you and I both work with invest in talent development programs, leadership development programs. And there's a lot of benefits to those. And I run a lot of those as well. But oftentimes, coaching is not necessarily part of that. So I'm wondering, how does that fit into some of the programs that people are running? And what do you see as some of the gaps? Or what have you seen are some of the gaps in some of those programs out there? Yeah. So I think talent development teams, especially at enterprises, they're always working off of, and it makes sense to do so, off of some sort of organizing principles. So The talent development pathways are based on your level, your title within the organization, or they're based on your location or your function. And then how they kind of go out from there, there tends to be, I think, a lot of options and pathways, but it's really the same thing over and over again. So it's some sort of online content. Maybe it's done as lessons or chapters. Maybe it's micro, maybe it's macro, you know, in it an executive MBA course or 30-second videos. And then there's going to be some in-person component. Maybe they fly everyone into the home office. Maybe you do it at the the local location, but the audience is probably 15 to 30 people, a one-to-many model. They'll do their best to make it interactive, but it's really tough. And people are kind of in and out and on their phones the whole time, right? And so I feel like oftentimes we see talent development teams jumping through a lot of hoops to create these programs, to name these programs, to create curriculums for these programs, to survey people about these programs in ways that I'm not necessarily sure they're getting the results that they're hoping to get out of. Sometimes it's, are we just kind of doing this because it was what we did last year and the year before that, and not so much because it's actually helped us achieve our goals or because people think this is a really good use of their time. And so When we talk about our coaching solution, we really look to say, let's leverage the best pieces that you already have in your talent development program. So if you want to kick things off for coaching engagement for a group with an in-person day where the CEO and the CPO or the CMO or the CFO speak with the various people who are going to be doing coaching, that's awesome. Like, Feel free to do that day. And then usually there might be a six-month gap before you fly everyone back and do the next day. How about in that gap, we do one-on-one coaching? And when we do that one-on-one coaching, how about we customize the experience to focus on whatever the core values and behaviors are for your organization or even for your organization at this particular level that will drive successful leadership and management. And so that way, we're really meshing into not just the talent development program, but the organization as a whole. I think that's something that's very differentiated about Pluma and incredibly important, which is that a lot of these organizations have already developed behavior frameworks, competency models, 
documentation, all of this kind of stuff. And we integrate all of that into the coaching experience so that when someone's even down to, frankly, our platform colors can be customized. So this platform can look like it's from your organization. And that makes it feel much more like this is a piece of the puzzle of what my organization is offering to me and not I'm going through a series of disjointed things and I'm not really sure how they all connect. And each vendor is coming at me with their own framework, which may be good, may be bad. You know, it doesn't really matter if it doesn't have anything to do with what my day to day looks like. And that's where we try and take the conversation with our HR partners is how can we fit this into what you're already offering? And also how can we help you cut down on what you're offering that's not giving you the results that you want. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. I mean, you don't want things to be disjointed. When I work with clients to create learning journeys, we want to always have that red thread, something that's kind of bringing everything together, joining everything together. I've got clients that are really great and big on the colors and the the imagery has to match and everything, their brand as well. So it's cool that you can provide that and, and we do something similar because you want it to all seem coherent and or cohesive and something like it's all part of this organization, part of their development. Yep. So I think that's really important. I wanted to ask you, you know, we're recording this at the end of April, you know, in the middle of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. And a lot of things have been changing in the working world. I'm curious, first of all, to know, have things changed with regarding coaching? Has coaching become more popular, less popular during this time? You know, what have you seen? So I think our offering is well positioned for what the reality is right now. The vast majority of people are working from home, whether this was a practice that was common in their organization previously or not. And so us being a digital solution where everything is done via mobile and web, you're doing your video sessions with your coach or messaging with your coach. We were able to make the product transition incredibly easily. In fact, for us, it wasn't even a transition. It was how things were done anyway. I think that what has been that we've honed in a little bit on more are some of the resources that can be helpful. So one of the things that we created, you know, our coaches have access to a database of resources through a learning partnership we have with Harvard Business Publishing. And obviously in that database of resources, we had not yet customized a series of articles about COVID-19, right? And so very quickly, you know, within a couple days, And we were quite sensitive to it because stuff in San Francisco was moving a lot faster than elsewhere in terms of the shelter in place and things. So we had this out the door pretty quickly. But basically, we just began a resource list for coaches to use, to lean on for working with and sharing with their clients. So at this point, it's been something we've shared. We have over 300 coaches in our network. So we have hundreds of resources that we created and then coaches have been adding to So it's this living document that we share with coaches as well as HR partners that we work with, just, you know, different topics, whether it's working from home, managing kids, managing teams and keeping up morale remotely, you know, all those kinds of things. And then also just making sure that our clients and coaches and HR partners feel supported at this time and feel like they have what they need from us. So trying to be a little bit flexible on cancellation and timings and things like that, kickoff timings. We work really closely with our partners to make sure that they're going to be able to get the full engagement and utilization that they expect to get with us. And most of our partners have actually, I would say, doubled down on the usage right now because A, their people need something. They need some form of support. They need that touch from the organization. And coaching is a great way to give that. 
And then B, there's actually a little bit more time to focus on your development and your communication and your leadership skills because you are a bit isolated in that sense. And you can take a little bit of that time in a way that when you were in and out of the office, you couldn't, you didn't always have a private room you could go to kind of a thing. So I think that people see the value, you know, even more so, I think, with coaching. Assuming that you have really good coaches who can be sensitive to the moment and help people talk through the things that they need to talk through. If you're trying to do coaching that's more like a guided curriculum, I think you would struggle because now is not the time for some of that stuff. So you have to have a a talented enough coach base that can be reactive to what clients are actually going through and experiencing. We're well set up for that as well because so much of the coach client work is bespoke in our platform. So all of our coaches are executive level coaches. They have that talent and that ability to meet the clients where they're at and discuss the issues that are most important for them today. This episode of the Talent Development Hot Seat is sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is the first place to call when you need leaders to lead, sellers to sell, and your business to flourish. We specialize in connecting companies with exceptional learning solutions to help them turn strategy into action and get their people doing the best work of their lives. We're also providing tons of great content on a weekly basis. In fact, we recently launched a great webinar series that has been going on weekly with content such as creating a culture of multipliers, gender equity, Liz Weissman's webinar on helping rid the world of bad bosses. We have a new webinar from Brent Snow on decision-making. We have a webinar on multipliers and how to use multipliers during troubled times, calming the storm. We have a webinar from our partner, Julie Winkle Giulioni on developing in place how to continue your growth during remote working. And a webinar from Paul Middleton on the secret sauce for learning in the flow of work plus many more, just head to our website at advantageperformance.com. Click on free resources and you'll find the link to webinars and all of our other insights and resources there. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show. Yeah, you know, I've been studying this and talking to a lot of people about the response to COVID-19 and everybody going to work remotely, at least most companies out there sending a lot of people home. And what's been important for making that successful, that transition successful. And I've gone through, in fact, we have an experience on how to lead through crisis. And some of the key points we bring out in there is leaders need to be empathetic. They need to you know, understand what their employees are going through, build trust and improve that communication. And I can see how coaching can provide that extra benefit to people when they are feeling isolated, right? Feeling out there and needing that extra yeah. support, that extra communication. So I can see that being more beneficial, but I was curious, are organizations recognizing that and investing more in coaching or are they pulling back because frankly, we're in, we're in tough times in a lot of industries? For our existing client base, which is quite broad, nobody is pulling back. I think the attitude is very much, we know Pluma, we trust Pluma. There's a real need here, full steam ahead. I think that it's always an interesting conversation when you're doing news sales. Some people are just kind of closed off. They've been told by their executive teams that budget is frozen. And with those people, when they when we hear that, our attitude always with sales is that's totally fine. Here's how we can add a little bit of value, whether it's, you know, share this resource, share this podcast, you know, whatever it might be, and we'll check in with you later. So I think now is not the time to kind of force a sale or try and kind of bully your way in with people, but that if you can 
lead by example a little bit and make yourself useful to new customers. When they do have the opportunity or when they do see the need, they will think of you first when it comes to that outreach. Yeah, absolutely. I and mean, you and I talked about this even before we started recording with what's going on with our businesses and and the pandemic. And we have to be sensitive. You got to be empathetic, right? There's some industries where they're just not able to really invest much in development coaching, whatever it may be right now, where they're just so incredibly busy. Like I have clients and, and friends in healthcare that are kind of all hands on deck, right? I was working on a, a, an opportunity to create a new diversity and inclusion program for a company that makes ventilators. And obviously, they're a little bit busy right now with yeah. some other things. I'm not really thinking about development. But other companies, you know, a lot of tech companies I talk to, it's kind of business as usual. And I like to think that many of them are still taking this opportunity to double down and invest in their people in different ways. So they come out yeah. stronger. Yeah, Gilead, the makers of the new vaccine or the, the new vaccine that's in testing are a client of ours. And, and we work closely with them. And in fact, their clinical trial, their clinical ops team so we definitely have a lot of clients who are very, very busy and working you know, nonstop. They're actually kicking off another group with us because of the moment that we're in. So like I said, there's plenty of partners for whom this is even more than they might normally, or they're, they're moving up their schedule. And there's some partners for whom maybe they're recognizing that. So for example, we work with Sephora. And we work with a lot of their district and store managers. So people who are obviously not going to work right now in, in the retail field. And Sephora has also sped things up to make sure that those people are getting the support and the development that they need to support themselves and their teams while the stores are closed down, right? So it's a complete reprioritization for those leaders. How do I move everything we did and, and keep people engaged and rethink this entire thing so that's also a great time for coaching. So in that sense, no matter where you are on the spectrum of being affected, you know, the actual vaccine maker or a brick and mortar retailer, there is an opportunity for coaching. And we've seen that even in just our client base. Absolutely. And really cool to hear that some of these organizations are still investing in their people even during tough times. Alexandra, what has been your proudest accomplishment or moment throughout this uh, journey so far? Through like the journey of entrepreneurship. Yeah, building this company and, and providing coaching to so many organizations. There's a lot of different things that I'm proud of. You know, we have an incredible team. Like the Pluma team is amazing. Pluma coaches are amazing. Our organizational partners are amazing. I'm so proud of the fact that we've shown that even with a smaller organization like ours, if you are authentic and you create value and you are reliable and persistent, you know, you can partner with Fortune 500 organizations like Gap Inc and Adobe and Gilead and Sephora and all of these amazing organizations that we work with, Dropbox and the like. But I think like my daily thing that I'm really proud of is we use Slack for messaging across the company. And we created a Slack channel a long time ago called Nice Things That People Tell Us. <laughs> and it was just basically... Because my co-founder and I were like, you know, as entrepreneurs, you get told a lot of not not nice things, you know, <laughs> like you're sort of the like, fine, the buck stops here and the buck tends to be negative, yeah. you know, it, it right. tends to be like, you know, like the, so we were like, how do we make sure that the team is seeing the impact that we're having? Because we're unique in the sense that like, our product actually does change people's lives. And that's really cool. So 
we share basically in that channel things that HR partners tell us, things that coaches, you know, end users tell us, things that coaches tell us. And at least, you know, 10 or 15 times a day, we have quotes from different clients that are just kind of, I don't know, I can look at it now. I was looking at it earlier and it's just reading those things that are like, I feel I've greatly benefited from coaching. Working with Pluma has helped me ask better questions and guide my counselees and team members to better answers. This experience has been incredibly rewarding. You know, it's taught me to make new habits and be genuinely curious about contrasting viewpoints. Like these kinds of things where people are doing serious work on themselves and how Mm -hmm. they perceive themselves and how others perceive them and being able to kind of see that feedback and be like, Hey, you know, I was part of making that. That's definitely the thing I'm, I'm the most proud of, of, and of, of everyone on our team as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's a lot to be proud of. I'm glad you're making note of those things. I'm trying to do more of that as well myself. When you're on an entrepreneurial journey, there are plenty of mistakes that are usually made, right? And they always say in Silicon Valley to fail fast. So what's been one of your biggest mistakes or failures? And what did you learn from it? Obviously, you're exactly right. There's like so many mistakes and failures that the truth is that I tend not to think of them because it's almost like that butterfly effect thing where it's like, well, if I hadn't made that mistake, then I wouldn't have had that. So it's like, I can't undo any of it. But I think that in terms of the things about myself that I've had to change, that was probably where I think I spend the most time thinking is like, what did I fundamentally have to change about myself? What mistakes was I making? And when we first started, a lot of the sales responsibility fell on me. And I hadn't really ever done sales before. And I was really, I think, a rookie (laughs) in the sales space in terms of... I was really surprised by how aggressive you needed to be just to do sort of base level sales. At first, I kind of thought, well, if someone wants it, they'll get back to me, you know? <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, wow. You know, it turns out I'm not top of mind to these people who run enormous organizations. You know, a lot of stuff going on. Exactly. And I'm going to have to get a lot more comfortable making the ask, you know, whether the ask is when's our next call or so, you know, are you going to purchase or how are we going to try this out? That was something that I had to get comfortable with and was a challenge for me was to kind of practice that area. I don't know if it was so much like a failure or a mistake as it was just this thing about myself that I sort of realized I needed to reinvent in a way and just be more comfortable with, oh, I think I'm selling something really phenomenal. And so I'm going to sell it like it's Mm -hmm. phenomenal and I'm going to talk about it. And, you know, I tended to... (laughs) Air on the side of very humble to the point of maybe people just thought that it wasn't good. You know what I mean? Like, and I think that I started to realize, oh, maybe there's people from different backgrounds are different about that kind of thing. And you actually kind of have to go big on that front. And I was surprised by that. Oh, you're right. We all learn things about ourselves, things we are good at, things we need to get better at. I've been in sales for nine years and I'm still not very good at it, you know, making that ask. And be like, hey, will you give me money for this and I'll provide exactly. the service, right? Even though and like, you know. like, and now I'm calling you for the fifth time and like right. I'm trying to figure out a new way to open this email that's not just like, so are you buying now? <laughs> you know, you, like <laughs> the other emails. But then, you know, I mean, in my experience, you follow up four or five times and you think you're being annoying, and then someone says, Oh, thank you so much. I, I haven't seen your other emails because they've been buried in my inbox, or I've been meaning to get back to you whatever it may be. So I always call it patience and persistence, you know, yeah. you got to kind of. And also just 
pride in the sense of, I know what I'm selling you is amazing. And so I should be for your benefit getting in touch with you. And if you don't see that, then that's my fault because it means I haven't articulated it in a way that's valuable to you. or I haven't understood your need in a way that can make me be able to help you. But that's how, you know, when we work with our sales team, we're always having the conversation in that direction, which is because of the nature of the product that we sell. One, we need to be representative of the kind of culture that someone would want to see in their own organization, right? So if they see us behaving a certain way, it has to be aligned with the product. You know, it has to be aligned with what they would want as the best possible outcome. We kind of have to go above and beyond in terms of our customer service and our support and our responsiveness and, you know, our our empathy, you know, like you mentioned earlier. And the other is that we have to just kind of continuously follow up and, and follow through and be brave about making the ask, you know, in a way that's not, you never want to be annoying or harassing, but in a way that shows that we know the product is really valuable and that this would be a, a benefit to anyone who works with us. Absolutely. Build relationships, show value, patience, and persistence. We're talking, of course, about sales, but for talent development practitioners who are selling programs, coaching, whatever it may be internally, you got to use all these things as well to sell. I think it's huge. I think one of the biggest things that I always like to work with our talent development partners on is how to take the credit in the organization, especially with our platform and our program, we get really rave reviews. And so we want to set up our talent partners for that win. One of the number one things that people ask us when they get the coaching engagement is, oh, what? why was I chosen for this? It's a huge opportunity for the organization to be saying, we picked you because you're phenomenal, because we value you, because we think you're the future of our culture and of our business objectives. And to really just kind of make sure that those, when it comes to driving employee engagement, there's really nothing that's going to have a bigger impact than this. And so we try as hard as we can to set our partners up for a win in that regard to receive. And even, you know, when I was talking about changing the color of the platform to match the organization, it sets them up for the win of this is something that the company is doing, that we're doing to, to benefit and to support our employees. And it's a part of the company. It's a part of the experience. And that way, employees are going to experience it that way as well. And we kind of, we're happy to do that. You know, we know that when our partners win, we inevitably win. It's never not happened that way. If you're looking for a place to connect with colleagues and peers from your industry and find out what other people in talent development are working on, you need to check out the brand new Talent Development Think Tank membership community. Inside, we have members from companies all over the world who are working on all different things in talent development and sharing what's been working, what's been not working, and answering each other's questions so we can all get our jobs done more effectively and be more successful in our careers. If you'd like to join us, we'd love to have you. Just head on over to tdtt.us slash community, and you can use code HOTSEAT for 25% off your subscription. That's tdtt.us slash community and use code HOTSEAT for a limited time for 25% off your subscription. If you have any questions, reach out to me and let me know and we'll see you there. Right. Yeah, I like that. I always say I want to make my clients look like rock stars. Exactly. You want to make them look great because it's their reputation inside the organization. And uh, it obviously helps you as a partner as well. I always ask my guests for a book recommendation. Is there a book that's made a big impact on you or that you often recommend to people? Yeah, I do. It's it's a little bit of an unusual choice just because I think most people recommend business books and this kind of thing. But I think 
when I was in business school or just before business school, I read the book Eichmann in Jerusalem by Hannah Arendt. She's a philosopher. And it really looks at the topic, which she calls the banality of evil. And it's this idea that we hope that evil or, or bad instances are these like super recognizable black and white moments where we can be like, that person's bad and that person's good. But that the reality is that these things are very little and it only takes kind of going along with things or slow little snowballing of things to go negative. And in the same way, I also think of it as to go positive. And so for me, that book was really foundational in thinking about the effects that certain actions can have and how personally from a moral and authentic viewpoint, I need to always be asking myself, you know, is this the example I want to set? Is this the culture that I want people to walk away from me? Are the, when I manage people, like, are they watching what I do? And is that good? Is that going to influence them positively in the future? And the same goes for with our partners, you know, how they think about the cultures of their organizations, these little signals from the senior levels of the team or from managers, they add up all of a sudden to a culture, right? These things are little and they add up as opposed to doing a one day big sweeping thing and then hoping that runs your culture for years to come. And so for me, that was a a really influential book, obviously a bit dark, but (laughs) just in terms of the philosophy of human nature and how these little things can add up and that you have to be pretty constantly vigilant in terms of what your ethics and morals and as the industry says, you know, your personal brand are in order to go forward and have that reputation. Absolutely. I'm big on that stuff. I've studied and practiced so much in the area of personal brand and reputation, something I'm really passionate about and that I've been writing about in the book I'm working on now. So I think it's awesome. And I love that recommendation. Last question for you, Alexandra, for those out there in the talent development world or anybody who really wants to excel in their career and get to the next level, what's one more piece of advice you would give? I think in terms of (laughs) thinking about excelling in your career, the number one most important thing that you can do is just ensure that you're on a path that you want to be on. One thing that I've kept very close to my heart in evaluating careers is, you know, I don't want to be at the top of a ladder that I don't want to even be on, right? I'd rather be at the bottom of a ladder that's the right right ladder for me. And I think that people can get really caught up. We see a lot of people come to coaching and their initial goal is, well, I want a promotion. And it's like, okay, well, there's a lot to unpack there. That's that's not a, a great initial goal. Like we really need to dive into what that means to you and what it signals to you and what you've got wrapped up in all of that. And so I think when you think about your career development and your career trajectory, to really kind of think about it in in this kind of way of, is the work that I'm doing meaningful to me? Is it impactful? Is it interesting? Do I enjoy the people that I'm around? And if the answer is yes to those questions, then your career will unfold in a certain way, right? You don't have to kind of rush to the top necessarily. You should definitely be self-advocating and developing in those ways. But I think people put a lot of pressure on themselves that in any given moment, their job should be the end-all, be-all and most fulfilling thing in their life. And really, it doesn't unfold that way. It's kind of a journey in a sense. And I think as you go, you piece in certain pieces of the puzzle like, oh, I really like leading people. So I'm going to aspire to a role where I have a team under me. And oh, I really like you know this aspect or this industry. And I'm going to get a job leading people in that industry. And you pile it on as you go as opposed to, a dream job or a perfect role. 
it has kind of a finalness to it that I think life doesn't really have. Absolutely. I love that advice. I mean, if you're going to take ownership of your career, it starts with having a vision, having an idea of where you want to get to, and then staying true to that. And then it's easier to make decisions along the way to guide you. It's something I wrote about in, in my book as well. I think we're aligned about that. So Alexander, this has been great for anybody listening who wants to get in touch with you, find out more about Pluma and the services you offer. Where should they go? So they can visit our website at www.pluma.co and there'll be tons of information there. They can also feel free to email us at hello at pluma.co and someone will get back to them right away. Awesome. Sounds great. Alexandra, this has been great. I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope our listeners did as well. So thank you again for coming on the Talent Development Hot Seat. Thank you so much for having me, Andy. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. Bye. Thanks again for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes to help other people find the show. And as always, you can find all of our episodes and tons of free resources on our website, talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Thank you again and take care.